welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Today I want you to open your Bible to Joshua chapter 1. Next Sunday we will get back to looking at Philippians, a life of joy. But today, Joshua chapter 1, I wonder how many resolutions you've made. Here's one for senior adults. I have resolved not to do drugs anymore because I get the same effect just standing up really fast. <laughs> Sad as that is, I can relate to that. Or here's some, I, I've resolved to live in my own little world because at least they know me here. One more, I have resolved not to make any resolutions because nobody is perfect. I'm a nobody, therefore I'm perfect. A couple had gone to see a marriage counselor. And in the first section, the doctor asked them to identify to what seemed to be the root of the problem, what started the issue. And the wife said, it all started when we thought it would be cute to think up each other's New Year's resolutions. We're going to talk about not resolutions. We're going to talk about having a successful year. You can have a successful year coming up. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, there are three divisions of Scripture, law, prophets, and writing. And the Hebrews divided the prophets into former and latter prophets. The former prophets included Joshua all the way to 2 Kings with the exception of Ruth. And to the Jewish people, the former prophets weren't just history books they were books that had a message. The writers gave a theological interpretation to history. The biblical writer presented the historical facts for a theological purpose. I want us to read the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to, to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, for behold, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Did you know, according to the online search rankings from BibleStudyTools.com, in the top 20 most popular Bible verses, verse 5 of this passage is list, I mean, yeah, excuse me, verse 9 of this passage is rated number 5 in the top 20, where it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As this book opens, the Israelites are camped on one side of the Jordan River, on the east bank, at the very edge of the promised land. According to Deuteronomy chapter 34, Moses has died. And of course, God repeats it to Joshua here. And many of the people have died off because you know why. They have been wandering around in the desert. And now Joshua is given the command, you're in charge. You're going to take these people across the Jordan. Now, he didn't have a lot to work with. If you think about it, on one hand, these people have simply been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They'd been eating manna the whole time. They were not battle-tested. No, there were no special forces, and they were no soldiers. They, didn't have, they had a few weapons at best. And furthermore, they already knew they were going to face the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Somebody says when they built their homes, they had to face the termites. <laughs> but every one of these nations was bigger and stronger and more powerful and better equipped than this ragtag bunch of Jewish people, and yet Joshua had been given his marching orders to go across the Jordan. This passage contains one of the greatest speeches ever given in history that was made by God himself that includes the two words, succeed, and prosper. You see that word a couple of times. God promised Joshua unqualified success and prosperity. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be successful? Two men talking about the secret of success. One said, do you know the secret of success? And the other man said, no, what is it? And he said, I can't tell you. And he said, why? Because it must be a secret. Well, the secret here, even though his speech was given to the nation of Israel, and you have to be careful that you take everything that is spoken to Israel literally for yourself because some of it was meant for them, but there are some principles and truths here that still apply for you and me, especially as we go into a new year and we want to have a successful year. The first is closing the past. Joshua had some big shoes to fill. Moses was probably intimidating to most people. Can you imagine being second in command of Moses, being his assistant, being the second lieutenant? Moses was the most revered figure in Judaism. In fact, he'd been Israel's security blanket for 40 years. 
I mean, after all, he was the one that led an entire nation after a 400-year captivity out of Egypt. When they came to the Red Sea, he held up a rod, and the sea parted, and he called down manna from heaven. Of course, God sent it, but Moses had a relationship with God unlike anyone else. In fact, Exodus 33:11 says in the ESV, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. I mean, you're talking about a man that had a conversation with God on more than one occasion. We first find Joshua as an Israelite general. We find him in Exodus chapter 17 and then later on in Exodus 24 where he's an assistant to Moses. But we first find Joshua who's called out by Moses because of a man named um, Amalek. Amalek was attacking the children of Israel in the, in the wilderness. In fact, what he was doing, he was picking off the slow people, the ones that didn't walk fast or the one in the very back. He was picking them off. And so Moses sent him out to battle and said, you need to go take care of the Amalekites. He went out there. Moses went up on the mountain. And yet it's a real interesting story about the battle because as long as Moses held his arms up, the Israelites were prevailing. But then when his arms came down, the Amalekites began to prevail. So two of the men, Aaron and Hur, H-U-R, not H-E-R, H-U-R, went up and propped up Moses' hands so that the Israelites took care of the Amalekites. But what I want you to understand is right out there in the heat of battle was Joshua. Joshua was one of the 12 spies sent into the promised land 40 years earlier. He came back with Caleb and they gave the minority report. 10 of the guys said, we can't do this. Two of them said, there's nothing to stop us, let's go. Well, Joshua was one of those. And because of that, Joshua and Caleb were allowed to go into the promised land. But here's Joshua... They're mourning the death of Moses, and then the Lord addresses Joshua directly. And he says, Joshua, Moses is dead. It's time to look forward. You know, Jesus rearticulated this principle in the New Testament when he said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God, Luke chapter 9, verse 62. And of course, in Philippians, we recently looked at the verse where Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So folks, let me tell you something. If you're going to have a successful year coming up, you need to forget about this last year. Close the past. Don't be like the man, the man's wife. When he was talking to his friend, he said, man, my wife gets real historical when she's mad. And the guy said, you mean hysterical? No, I mean historical. She brings up the past. <laughs> you can't go to the past. It's done. Some of you will stay up tonight to see the new year, new year in. Some of you will stay up tonight to make sure that year's gone. Let it go. Let it go. Sounds like a song and a Disney song. Let it go. Let it go. Well, let it go. Close the past. And in order to live a life of promise and a life of success, you can't keep looking back. It's gone. Well, next we see the principle of claiming the promises. Joshua's name, his given name was Hosea. 
he was renamed by Moses. Hosea means deliverance. Joshua means Jehovah delivers. You have to believe what God has promised. By the way, what's going on in Israel right now? Why has Hamas been attacking Israel for so many years and Israel is now trying to end that? It's because, now listen carefully, because you're going to be told totally different and all these people siding with Hamas. The Palestinians go back to about 1946 and they say, well, the UN gave this land to Israel, but we were there in 1946 and 1947. But if you're going to do that, you need to go back to the 1400s B.C. Because that's when God said, that land is mine. I'm giving it to Israel. And I also want you to know that Israel never really did claim all that God gave them. You took a map and you drew off all that God just said. It was much bigger than they ever, ever occupied in the beginning. But it's their land because God gave it to them. Now, when it comes to promises, you see several here. First of all, the first one is purpose. They had a purpose. God said, I'm going to use you to reach the people around you, but I'm giving you this land, so your purpose right now is to take the land. Claim God's will for your life. You have a purpose. Lily Tomlin, the comedian, once said, I always wanted to be somebody, but I should have been more specific. She, she also said the trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. For Israel, this was a promise of land. And you'll notice he said the land of the Hittites. By the way, let me tell you something. Did you know for many years there was no archaeological evidence of the Hittites? In fact, a lot of liberals said, well, see, the Bible's not true. It's full of errors. For example, it mentions here the Hittite Empire when you take this land. Well, in 1906, Professor Hugo Winkler of Berlin discovered over 10,000 clay tablets in modern Turkey as we know it today, which turned out to be the ancient Hittite capital. And this vast store of inscriptional material revealed that the Hittites were not only an important people of the ancient world, but they had an extended empire. And the Hittite empire, which existed from 1900 B.C. to 1200 B.C., was an enormous territory that ranged from the Black Sea eastward to the Euphrates River. In other words, it's just like the Scripture records. And he said, you're going to take this land. It's yours. And for us, God has promised us not necessarily a physical territory, but his promise is this. We can serve in his will. Your purpose is to fulfill God's will for your life. Someone someone once said, in whatever a person does without God, that person must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. You see, success is having God in you, living out this world, and God beside you when you die. It was C.S. Lewis who said, He who has God and everything has no more than the man who has God alone. There are three kinds of people alive today. Some are people who have no purpose in life. 
They're simply existing. They just drift aimlessly through life. They go to school, get a job, switch jobs, find a spouse, switch spouses, move from house to house, retire, and die. No purpose in their life. Now, there's nothing wrong with working and, and taking care of your family, but, but what I'm saying is they never really dreamed that there was any reason they were here to begin with. And then there are people who have, strong, have the wrong purpose in life. They're super achievers. They climb the ladders of financial and political and social success only to find out that the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. Then they go into eternity realizing for the first time that any so-called success without God is ultimately failure. But then there's that person who's found the right purpose in life. They know why they were created. They believe that God put them on here on the earth to fulfill his purpose, and they're doing what they believe that purpose is doesn't mean you're always in the ministry. It doesn't mean you're in full-time vocational ministry. It means that you're serving God whatever capacity as a mom, as a husband, as a worker, as a, as a neighbor, whatever. You're, you're not here by accident. And God said to the Israelites, you're going to take this land first thing. And then you see the promise of his presence. Verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. He's talking to Joshua. He said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. It literally translates this way. I will not drop you. See, God's with us wherever we go. And that's why we should never hesitate to go anywhere that God tells us to go because when God tells us to go somewhere, listen, he doesn't send you to that place. He takes you to that place. He's with you. God's never left you. Well, what about when this happened to me? God was there. You may not have acknowledged he was there, but he was there. And God doesn't cause all the bad things to happen to you. He just walks with you through them. He didn't say everything's going to be rosy because we live in a cursed world. God's saying, I will not drop you in the middle of a project I've given you. Sometimes God closes doors. The promise of his power and his presence doesn't mean that you're going to be excluded from disaster and frequent tribulation. Our faith's going to be tested. Sometimes we suffer. Our lives will involve hard work. God's power says, I'm going to be with you, or God's power will be with us through the good and the bad times. He's telling Joshua, he said, this isn't going to be easy. You're about to cross into the land, the empire of the Hittites, which includes all these other Ite brothers, and you're not going to have a hard. You're not going to have an easy time. But he claimed God's power. Some of you that have hair the color of mine, you've seen the movie Ben Hur. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And some of you young bucks, you need to watch this. One of the greatest movies ever made. Now, I know they don't have all of the special effects that Star Wars and all that has now, but I'm going to tell you, this movie won so many Academy Awards that it held the record for years, and it may still, as far as I know. But Charlton Heston played the part of the hero in this movie. 
and he had to learn how to ride a chariot in real life. Now, he was in a chariot race where he was supposed to win, but he was having trouble learning how to drive a chariot behind a horse. And so, getting really frustrated, he went to the director, Cecil B. DeMille, you've heard that name, and he said, Mr. DeMille, I can barely stay on this chariot. I just can't get the hang of it. I can't win this race. And the director looked at him and he said, son, your job is to stay on the chariot. It's my job to make sure you win. And you know what? That's what God is telling you and me. It's your job to stay with what God's called you to do until he either changes it or, or makes it different. He is his job to make it win. We were put on this earth to experience the presence of God and obey his principles and fulfill the purpose that he has for you and me. Now, another promise, you may, you may uh, think I've lost my mind, but it's prosperity. Now, stay with me here. I'm not those guys on television that say you name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever you want to call it. And I'm not here to tell you because most of the time when you hear the word prosperity, you think of riches and you think of wealth and you think of you've got more than you can spend but you know what the real prosperity gospel is? It's not that God wants everybody to be rich financially. The real prosperity gospel is that God wants everybody to be successful in obeying him. Because when you obey him, it'll transform you day by day. It, it, you, God's in the business of transforming us into his image. He's in the business of helping us to serve him, to meet the deepest needs of others who hurt, who are in pain, who need deliverance from sin, who need their bodies healed and their minds restored. This is success. It's prosperity. God is in the business of helping lead people to a personal, vital relationship with him. That's the prosperous part of life to know why we're here, to have a meaning, to have a peace in our life, not to be wealthy. You're not going to take any of it with you anyway. So when I say prosperity, God is saying, I'm giving you this land. I'm going to use you to touch the other nations around you with the fact that I am God and that I love you and and to tell others about the Lord. You got to close the past. You got to claim the promises. I, I know I'm here for a reason. I know that God wants me to become like Him. I know He won't ever leave me, His presence is there. But then He gives what I'm going to call a prescription. You know what a prescription is. A doctor gives you a prescription. He says, follow this, and this will make you better. Well, God tells Joshua to tell the people, and he also tells Joshua this, you need to comply with this prescription. My words. In order to claim the promises, you've got to meet the conditions God has set on these promises. And the first one, is strength, to be strong. Look at verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, 
Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? This strength, we're on, we're on this side of Pentecost. So we have the Holy Spirit living in us. But the strength comes from God. It's not on your own. You, you can't do this on your own. Religious people try to do things on their own. But when you have a relationship with God, his spirit lives in us so much so that we can call him Abba, Father. We have a relationship with him. Our strength is in the Lord. It's not in ourselves. Adrian Rogers tells a story about a man who bragged that he had cut the tail off of a man-eating lion with his pocket knife. One of his friends said, well, why didn't you cut off the lion's head? And the man said, somebody had already done that. <laughs> when you try to do things on your own power, it's very limited, but you, you ask God for strength, and that's why God kept telling Joshua, you be strong in me, not in public opinion, not in what everybody else says. You be strong in me. The next part of the prescription is submission. Our obedience. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Adrian Rogers, one more quote for him. He said, Bible study gives you knowledge of God. But obedience helps you know God. You see, a lot of people who aren't walking with the Lord can study the Bible. There are a lot of professors in liberal universities and liberal seminaries, liberal Bible teachers. They study the Bible, but they have no knowledge of God. Why? Because they're not obeying God. They twist and pervert the Scripture. Bible study gives you the knowledge of God, but obedience helps you to know God. How do I know that? Listen to John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest or disclose myself to him. I will reveal myself to the one who obeys me. Folks, listen, obedience is the mark or the test of love, and obedience is the pathway to success. Life is tough. We all want the goodies, but we don't want any of the difficulties or the sacrifice. We're called to live lives of obedience. But American Christianity today has been geared to getting what we want to satisfy our own personal pleasures. We offer, well, we want people to come and, and be entertained, or we want to give them something good, but Jesus didn't talk that way. He said, you take up your cross and follow me to be obedient. Most of us are obedient like the two little boys helping their mom bake a cake. The older brother had the hand mixer. He was making, mixing all the batter, and they always argued over whoever got to lick the beaters. This particular day, the younger brother had asked first. So the older brother's mixing, and then his mom says, now you give the beaters to your brother. He gives the beaters to his brother, and immediately mom grabs him, 
yanks him down, paddles him good, and says, the next time you give the beaters to your brother, you turn off the mixer. That's sort of how we submit, isn't it? Okay, I'm going to do this. I don't really want to. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. How about just doing that one? Sometimes people say, well, I want God to show me this. I want God to show me something. But basically, God is saying this. Listen, I've already shown you this, and you won't obey. Why am I going to show you anything else? You you don't dilly-dally with what God says to do. In fact, Jesus said, If any man, John 7, 17, if any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching whether it is of God. If you're not willing to do what God wants you to do right now, he's not going to show you other things. Simple obedience of what you do know. I I am utterly amazed at the immorality of Christians. God specifically says, You keep your body for marriage. Be careful how I say all this today. And yet, people who claim to follow Jesus, people who know better, people who are grown up, act like God never said that. I want to tell you, that's one of the sins that just doesn't go away. You see, obedience is the pathway to success in life. Obeying God. You want to have a successful year, do what God tells you to do. What part of that do you not understand? A third part of the prescription is to study. Verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And now Joshua just had the first five books that we have called the Torah or the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We've got so much more, don't we? We have the prophets and the law and the poetry, and then we have the whole new covenant in the New Testament with Jesus. The problem is we don't read it. God says, I want you to spend some time in the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It says all scriptures God breathed. You know what that literally says? It's God's mind in print. It's what God wants you and I to understand. Guess what? Tomorrow, you can have a perfect record reading the Bible daily. (laughs) January 1st. Now, there's all kinds of plans to read the Bible. I got to confess to you, the hardest way is to start in Genesis and try to read all the way through without stopping because 
you're going to get bogged down in some places. There's some places it's just deep mud hole. <laughs> it's God's Word, and you need to read it, but you need to, you need to couple that with something else. It, and listen, there's so many ways to read the Bible. That U-verse app you've got on your phone or you're on your iPad, it's got all kinds of Bible reading plans. Some of them, you know, you read a little bit in the Old Testament, read in the New Testament. You might read one of the Psalms and or three of the Psalms and one of the Proverbs where you get through Psalms and Proverbs every month. Listen, just do it. Three parts to this. First of all, look it up. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, what that means, you got to read this book and ingest it in such a way that God's words are literally in your mouth. When you're going through life, you're thinking of what God said. If your heart's full of God's truth, your mouth is going to speak God's truth. Second is, let it in. You shall meditate on it day and night. You know, most of the times when you hear the word meditate, that doesn't fit our, our uh, society today. We're, we're more into 144-word tweets and everything instantly. It's hard for us to be quiet. It's hard for us to slow down. We hate the idea of being quiet and still, but you never waste time when you think through and meditate on God's Word. And the word meditate doesn't mean you get in some awkward position and um, that's not meditation. Actually, the Hebrew word means to ruminate, to chew the cud. You've seen cows chewing the cud. Let me tell you, there's been times I've eaten so much such food that was so good, I wish I could chew it again. But not usually. It means that you, you read it, you let it in. I'm going to think about this. How does that apply to my life? How can I put this into practice? How can I use this to help others? You let it in. You don't just read it and forget it. Read it out loud. That'll help. A mind that's filled with the Word of God leads to a heart that is full of the love of God and a life that is lived in the wisdom of God. And then the third thing is you let it out. Verse 8, be careful to do according to all that is written, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's important to read the Bible, to memorize it, or to meditate on it, but none of those things really matter unless you obey it. And when you read the Bible and meditate on it, you learn about God, but when you obey the Bible, you know God. You, you experience more of Him. Meditation will give you the knowledge. Obedience will give you the knowledge of God, about God, and then know God. Now look at verse 7. He says to Joshua, Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left that you may obtain, that you may have good success wherever you go. When I say the word zero tolerance, what does that mean? Of course, in school, there's zero tolerance when it comes to weapons, guns, or knives. In the military academies, there's zero tolerance when it comes to cheating. That means there's no second chance. But we treat God's Word 
like it's a suggestion. You see, you don't manipulate God's Word to make it politically correct or culturally relevant or you try to apply it to your own personal experience the way you want it to. And do not ever use the word, I feel like. God said it regardless of how you feel. Now, in the Old Testament, a lot of that has been superseded by the New Testament and the New Covenant and the freedom that we have in the Spirit of God as we walk. And so we don't have to worry about what we eat. You're not going to violate God's law by eating something. Because in the New Testament, that's been changed because we have, but, but God gave the nation of Israel national laws and some ceremonial laws and the moral law. And the national laws and the ceremonial laws have changed, been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but the moral law is still in effect. Jesus didn't change that part of it. In fact, he took it a step further. When he said, you know, it's one thing to have a man and a woman commit adultery, but he said, but I say if a man even thinks about it. I mean, he takes it a step further. But to live it out means we take God's word and apply it to our own lives. I want to read Psalm 1. It says, blessed, happy. And this assumes people. Blessed is the man and woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You see the progression there. Walk, stand, and sit. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatever he or she does shall prosper. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? We could learn a lesson from a duck. There's a couple of kinds. There's two kinds of ducks. You've got puddle ducks and diver ducks. Puddle ducks like mallards and redheads, they simply paddle around the edge of the marshes and ponds and feed in the shallow water. They eat only what they can reach from the surface. Diver ducks, however, they can dive to surprising depths in a lake to feed from the plants at the bottom. Mergansers, canvasbacks. Some of them can dive up to 150 feet. There's two kinds of Christians. Some are like puddle ducks. They stay near the surface. They satisfied with just what they hear in the shallows. But others are like divers. They read, they plunge deep into the Word. They apply it. They reflect on it. You don't have to be a theological scholar to understand God's Word. I close with this. An Arab chief told the story about a spy who was captured and was sentenced to death by the general in the Persian army. And the general had a strange custom of giving the condemned criminal a choice. He said, you can die by the firing squad. Or he pointed to a big black door out there in that open area and said, you can have what's behind the big black door. 
And he, and he gave them a choice. And at the moment of ex- execution, when it would draw near, the guards brought the spy to the Persian general. And he said, what will it be, the firing squad or the big black door? And the spies would hesitate for a time and then almost always say, I'll choose the firing squad. A few minutes later, you'd hear shots ring out confirming the spy's execution. The general would turn to his aide and said, they always prefer the known to the unknown. People fear what they don't know, yet we gave him a choice. And the man, the assistant said, General, what's behind the big black door? And he said, freedom. But there are very few who were ever brave enough to choose it. So my question to you and from the Lord today would be, are you brave enough to say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way this year? I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe your promises. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to obey what you say, not in my strength, but in your strength. I surrender all to you, Lord. And I want to tell you, if you have that kind of attitude, it changes your life. Some of you have to stop doing some things you're doing right now. Stop watching some things you're watching. Stop going to websites that you know are wrong. Stop being immoral. Stop this. And that's not a bunch of stop doing, but start reading and start filling your mind with what God wants you to do. It'll change your life. It'll free you. Jesus said, when you know the truth, it'll set you free. Free to live a life... Of, of knowing that you are right with the Lord, that you have a relationship with God, that you don't have anything to worry about. You don't have to be afraid of Him. But I wonder how many of you today are brave enough to say, Lord, starting right now, you know, we can't undo the past. We're going to close it. We're going to drive a stake down right here, starting right now, Lord. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to honor you in all of my life. Where I go, what I watch, what I read, what I give, what I do. Lord, I I just want to have a year walking with you. Now, it doesn't mean all your circumstances are going to be perfect. But it does mean this, that even in the midst of difficulty, the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 